The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's take our Bibles, if you would now, and open them to Matthew chapter 18. We begin the 18th chapter this morning, and this is really just another one of those remarkable teaching passages that we have in Scripture. This is Jesus in the last months of his ministry, and he's training his disciples about life in his kingdom. Now, we're going to read the first four verses of this chapter, in which Jesus gives here a beautiful illustration of the method of entrance into his kingdom and also the character of those who are in the kingdom. Stand with me, please, as we look at Matthew 18, beginning at verse number 1. Matthew 18, verse number 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted... And become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you for this word that we read this morning. Here is vital information for every person in this room today. Who is in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus explains that to us in these verses. Help us to listen today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago I was studying and preparing for this message and I was reading a book about Christians sharing their faith. And I, the book explains, uh, this book explained a lot about how that we should approach people when we're talking to them about our faith and exactly what kinds of things that we are to say to them to uh, show them the gospel of Christ and show them their condition before God. And I'm very much aware through reading that book and also, of course, from having studied the Word of God for many, many years, that there is a right way to witness and there is a wrong way to witness. And over the past hundred years of history in this country, we have mostly gone along the path of the wrong way to witness. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has this wrong, and I'm not saying that there are churches that no longer know how to give the gospel. I'm just telling you that if you listen to what's being said across our country today by many of the evangelical churches, you'll find that what people think about salvation is very much different from what the Scripture says. That salvation is being presented to people in very much different terms than the ones that are used in Scripture. When the Bible talks about a Christian, when it talks about someone being born again, saved by the blood of Jesus, it talks about a person who has a radical change that takes place in his life. The Bible talks about someone who is saved, has come out of the kingdom of darkness... And he's come into the marvelous light of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Salvation is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is the belief 
that the blood of Christ was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, and it is the belief that that blood of Christ, his death on the cross, is our deliverance from the wrath of the Almighty God. The person that receives Christ as Savior takes his place among people like John the Baptist, who said, I am not worthy to untie his shoes, the shoes of Jesus Christ. The believer in Christ takes his place among the apostles who said, we, we, we rejoice because we have been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. The believer in Jesus Christ takes his place with the apostle Paul who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The true believer in Christ heeds the words of Jesus when he said in the 16th chapter of Matthew, we read a few weeks ago, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I want you to think, is that what you hear preached today? Is that what you hear on the airwaves? You watch television, you see the preachers there. Are they preaching the same things that Jesus and the apostles taught? I don't think that they are. Instead, salvation is not preached as deliverance from hell. And salvation is not preached as justice done to the divine wrath of God. It's not recognition that we have sinned. Salvation is not being taught as absolute, complete surrender to Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives. Instead, salvation is being taught as a self-improvement program. Salvation is a way that we can get something. It's a way that we can get ahead in life. It's a way to get more recognition. It's the way that you can get what's due to you, what you really deserve, whether that's more money or whatever it might be in your life. And so salvation, and you've heard it so many times, is preached this way, that God has a wonderful plan for your life. Salvation is taught as self-actualization. It's about gaining prominence. It's about getting position. It's about being accepted as, as one who is worthy to come into the presence of God. Nothing about our unworthiness. And that misunderstanding of the kingdom of God could not be more apparent. And the misunderstanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ could not be more apparent than what we see in the very beginning of the 18th chapter of Matthew. Notice how it begins. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus. I have to remind you of what the same time is talking about. This ties the 18th chapter to the previous events in the 17th. Uh, Most likely, this took place when Peter, if you remember the story, we've used the scripture several times in the past messages, how that Peter had been instructed by Jesus to go to the Sea of Galilee, and there he would catch a fish, and in that fish's mouth would be a coin, and Peter was to use that to pay his his taxes, or the tax for Jesus and for Peter. And as he was gone, the disciples had been thinking about a question that they wanted to ask, And so they went to Jesus and they said to him, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now to set the stage for that this unexpected teaching that Jesus is about to give, we need to look for just a moment at this controversy among the disciples. 
We've spoken about it often. Evidently, they were just a little ways off from Jesus when they, had, they were returning from Caesarea Philippi. They were on their way to Capernaum. They were probably lagging just a little bit of the way behind Jesus as they were walking. And they were discussing between themselves one of their usual conversations, which was about the kingdom. They were always thinking about the kingdom. They were thinking about where they would be in the kingdom of God. What place of prominence would they have? They were the chosen disciples of Jesus. Surely they were going to be prominent in Christ's kingdom. What place would they have? They were still thinking that the kingdom was close by, that what Jesus would do at any moment was that he would declare that he was the king, that he would declare that he is the Messiah, that he would do something and all the world would bow down before him and they would recognize he was the king. And they wanted to know, where are we going to be when you decide to do that? Who is the greatest among us? in the kingdom of God? Who will have the priority in that kingdom? Who will have the place in that government of Jesus Christ? Where will they be? And they just did not get the sense of what he had said so much about self-denial. He never talked to them about their position in that way. He talked about self-denial in the kingdom of Christ. They never got it that he said, I'm going to the cross, and I will have to die, and you must follow me there. And they never got this meaning that Jesus gave them, that he was going to die. Later in the 20th chapter, the same debate goes on. There, the mother of James and John are interjected into the story, and she actually goes to Jesus and asks him where her sons will be in his kingdom. And she suggested, one can sit on your left and one can sit on your right. They need their place of prominence in the kingdom. And you notice in that 20th chapter that that was right after Jesus had talked about his own suffering and death. And in this chapter, chapter 18, this is right after Jesus had spoken of suffering and death. Just look back a moment there at the 17th chapter where Jesus said in verses 22 and 23, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. That's the context. He had just finished telling them that he was going to suffer and die. But that was not the thought in their mind. The thought is not the humility and the suffering and all the things that Christ must go through. The thought is, where will we be? Where is our place of prominence? So it wasn't anything about the suffering, the pain and the toil and the anguish that must be endured for the cause of Christ. They fought the same way that people do today. Salvation is taught as the way that you can have it better, how you can have your best life, how you deserve everything you can get. Nothing is said about surrender to Christ or the willingness to bear shame for his name. When someone preaches a gospel that says God has a wonderful plan for your life, then what does that imply? It implies that the kingdom is about you. And not about him. God has a wonderful plan for your life, makes the kingdom about you, not about Christ. 
And so if I can play on the emotions of people and tell them this whole thing was all about you from the very beginning, then how difficult is it going to be to get them to pray some kind of a little prayer and say, well, I want that if it's all about me. And that's what the disciples thought. The kingdom is about me. It's about my place. It's about how I can be prominent. Tell me about that wonderful plan for my life. Exalt my name, not the name of Jesus. But here's what you have to understand, that the kingdom is not about you. And the kingdom was never about you. It was never about the fortune that you can gain. It's never about your position, your prominence. The kingdom has always been about Jesus Christ and about his glory. Joseph Parker, who was contemporary with Spurgeon, wrote, One would have thought that men, having had given to them the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, would have been so dazzled by its glory and so impressed by its tender graciousness that they would never have thought of themselves at all, and especially never have thought of their gradation or their status within its infinite circumference. I tell you, we all have learned the wicked trick of spoiling everything God gives to us. We would pollute the stars if we could clutch them. The way of salvation is upside down in our thinking. Now make no mistake about what Jesus has to say about this. What he says next is not about your position in the kingdom. He'll have something to say about that as we go on. But he's going to talk about how to get into the kingdom. He's going to speak about the radical change in thinking. There has to be a realistic evaluation of self to see ourselves the way that God sees us. There has to be a whole understanding, new understanding of who we are and what Christ has endured that the kingdom may come. Now we see Jesus here doing something that was just totally unexpected. Verse number 2, Jesus called a little child unto them, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted. You might want to underline that word in your Bible. Converted. Except you be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now next we need to observe the command for conversion. The command for conversion. Jesus called the little child to come. The master illustrator is about to point out how poor and insignificant those are who come to him. And he's about to show them a real attitude of the heart for those that would be in his kingdom. Now, notice that at first he didn't bother to answer this question. They want to know who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus does here is to change the parameters. The most important question is not who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The question really is here, as he's going to point out to them, are you actually in the kingdom? Not who's going to be greatest there, but are you actually in his kingdom? That's the most important thing for you to find out right now. And doesn't the way that Jesus stated this sound very familiar? One of the most famous encounters that Jesus had was about getting into the kingdom of heaven. You know that? You know who it is? Nicodemus, John chapter 3. This sounds a lot like that, where he said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Now, I want to pause there for just a moment. What does Jesus mean when he says kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God? And I don't want to get sidetracked on the terms too much this morning, but just let me briefly tell you that those are interchangeable terms. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are essentially the same. One term, the kingdom of God, that emphasizes the sovereignty of the one whose kingdom it is. It is the kingdom of the sovereign God. The other one, the kingdom of heaven, emphasizes the character of the kingdom, that it operates on principles of righteousness and holiness. It's about majesty and glory. And there are various ways the terms are used depending on the context. And it's obvious here that what Jesus is doing is equating the kingdom of heaven with personal salvation. In John chapter 3, where he speaks of kingdom of God, there he's speaking to Nicodemus and he's equating it to personal salvation. How do you become a child of God? How do you become a citizen of his kingdom? And Jesus said, you must be converted. Now, the first thing that we have to recognize by that is that we start outside of the kingdom of God. That we are not in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. We have to be converted into it or we have to be born again into it. We are outside of the kingdom. We're not in God's kingdom, which means that we are not born as children of God. Nobody's a child of God until they become born again, until they are converted. And so we can stop thinking about all the things that we bring to God's kingdom. And we can stop thinking about what assets we are and how fortunate that God is to have us. We're not in that kingdom and we're not going to get into that kingdom if we stay the way that we are. And this isn't a matter of getting a little bit of help from Jesus. There has to be a radical change. This is what he's pointing out to them. This is a whole upsetting of your life. It's a change from everything that you are to be different from that and be like, be like something you've never been before. Jesus said you must be converted. Conversion refers to the response to the gospel. Conversion is when you respond to the call of the gospel and you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Christ. Conversion is a word that means change. It means to turn from the way that you are. Conversion means repentance from sin, genuine sorrow and contrition that you have broken the holy commandments of God. Conversion cannot happen until you admit that you are a sinner and you're justly deserving of hell. Conversion cannot happen until you realize that you are right now without Jesus Christ under the wrath of God. And I'm afraid that there are many people that are sitting in churches, and maybe some in this church this morning, that are not truly converted. And there are church members that think that all I really need is a little help from Jesus. I'll just stay the way that I am. I'll live the same life I've always lived. I'll do the same things that I've always done. And as I look at some of the members of Berean Baptist Church, some look, act, talk like they never heard of being converted. There's no holiness in your lives. This is something that you need to consider. That if you're going to be into the kingdom of heaven, if you're going to be in that kingdom, you must be converted. 
And I think there are many people, uh, maybe not many, but maybe even some people in our church that Christ would not claim them because they're not in his kingdom. They've not been truly converted. Now, these disciples were thinking about greatness. They were thinking about getting something. They, they thought about receiving their place in the kingdom. And Jesus calls them to a complete change from that arrogance and that pride and from these kinds of thoughts that nobody is going to tell me what to do. There's no preacher that's going to tell me how I must live my life. A Christian is one who has been drawn out of that stubbornness and that self-will and has been truly converted. Now, here's the thing about repentance. Many people have all kinds of excuses for their problems. You hear people say, well, I just can't help myself. (laughs) I went into sin. I just couldn't help myself. I I had a bad childhood. Somebody did this to me. Somebody did that to me. The social engineers say, well, the problem is poverty. Poverty. The problem is the lack of education, and the problem is the inner cities. The problem is the economy. That's why things aren't like they're supposed to be. And God says, now wait just a minute. Wait a minute. The problem that I have with you and you have with me is not somebody else's problem. The problem that I have with you is you. That's the real crux of it. The problem that I have is you. And repentance is when you finally come to the place and the realization that you understand the problem is you. That you're not even a microscopic piece of what you think you are. Repentance is when you say, I am in rebellion against God. I have broken his commandments. I'm in anarchy against the God of this universe. Repentance is when you admit that you sin and you turn from that and you set your course away from what you were and you turn towards Jesus Christ in faith. Jesus said, let's set aside the questions about greatness and let's talk about, are you even in the kingdom? I'd like you to turn a few pages back to the fifth chapter to the Sermon on the Mount. And I want us to look at the first statement that Jesus made, very first statement in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is verse number 3 at the beginning of the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse number 3. Jesus begins this whole sermon, this great sermon with this statement, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This verse has been taught wrongly for so long that people think that that means poor as in, I don't have any money in my bank account. I can't afford to feed myself. I'm on the low steps of the social ladder. I'm just poor. And the poor are somehow more blessed than anybody else because they're poor. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What does he say? Poor in spirit. He's speaking of your spiritual condition. And he's talking about the person who is bankrupt spiritually. These are people that realize their unworthiness. These are not people jockeying for position. But these are people that understand that they have nothing to offer God. If I'm going to get into his kingdom, it will be because of his mercy and grace. And not because of anything that I have to offer. 
And that's the opposite of what you hear on television. This is opposed to what most churches are teaching today about how wonderful it will be for you if you just become a Christian because they have offered the kingdom of heaven without an admission of guilt. And they've offered the kingdom of heaven without saying that people are doomed to hell. And they've offered the kingdom without anybody turning from the arrogance and the pride of self and saying, I am bankrupt. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Jesus would not let these men be his disciples until they were converted until they changed from that selfishness and that pride and they gave up trying to make the kingdom about them rather than about Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus say? He says, be converted. Turn from what you are. Turn from being high and mighty and come to me as a little child. And so Jesus said, a child in their midst, and he said, become as a little child and you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you this, because you're going to need it for the rest of this chapter. He's not talking here in this sense that everybody has to be, uh, that little children are just welcome into the kingdom of God. It's not about that at all. The children here are the children of God. The real children of God must have certain characteristics in them. They have to be converted to something that changes them and makes them like this. And so if they are in the kingdom of God, they must have these characteristics. And that's what we're going to talk about next for a few minutes. What about the characteristics of the converted? What does Jesus mean when he says, become as a little child? Well, what's the least expected answer that Jesus could give when they ask about greatness in the kingdom? They'd never expect that he would say, become as a little child. Who's to be great in the kingdom? Who's the powerful in the kingdom? Well, who's that going to be? Isn't that the intellectuals? Isn't that the people that have all of the money? Isn't that the ingenious? Isn't that the people that live in the best neighborhoods? Who will make the best prime minister in the kingdom of God? Who are going to be the princes and the princesses? Who are going to be the dukes and the lords and the ladies in the kingdom of God? And nobody would expect that Jesus would say, become as a little child and to set that child in the midst of them and say, this is what you must be. Now, we might make a little bit of a twist on what Jesus said. Maybe we could could get it into our minds and we understand why would Jesus say this? Because children today are often the center of attention. You might have a bumper sticker on your car that says, my child is an honor student at Rancho Catati. Do they have some over there? Honor students at Rancho Katati. Some of you older folks have a sticker that says, ask me about my grandchildren. Maybe we could make a case for our grandchildren. Um, Of course, Jesus said, become as a little child. Have you seen my grandchildren? That makes perfect sense. That's what I would say. But it wasn't like that then. When Jesus called a little child... To talk about greatness, he couldn't have shocked them more than if he called the devil himself to sit in their midst. Children were barely acknowledged. Children were nobodies, especially in public. They didn't talk about children. There were no such things as Child of the Year Award. Nothing like that. And you can be sure the disciples would never have done this. 
Just look over one page or so there to chapter 19, verse number 13. You see how the disciples are about children? Then there were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Same theme, and they still don't get it. Chapter 19, they still didn't get it. They were not thinking children when they thought of greatness. Henry Alford, that great writer, said, There's something exceedingly touching and full of instruction in the association of the words and acts of our blessed Lord with little children. If the story of redemption had been invented by man, and the Son of God had been described in his incarnate course on earth by mere human imagination, we may well conceive that this would have been otherwise. The mind of the gospel would have been that of the disciples who forbade children to come to him. Our religion would have been a stern and forbidding and restrictive code of morals, not the glorious gospel of freedom and love. Oh, disciples are not thinking of children, but the character of a child perfectly expressed what Jesus was looking for in his children. Perfectly expresses what he wants in disciples that are in his kingdom. So what's the character of a child? Well, we notice what's at the top of the list with Jesus is humbleness. Humbleness. If you come asking who is the greatest, do you understand that you've already been disqualified? If you sprinkle your conversations or rather douse your conversations with heavily heavy uses of I and me, and your favorite topic of conversation is you, do you understand that you've already been excluded from the kingdom of God based on humility? Now, a little child in this case is most likely a very small child. I mean, we're talking here probably about an infant. And an infant doesn't have anything to boast about. An infant doesn't have any accomplishments. You don't go to a baby and tell me about all the things that you did last week and uh, tell me, you know, how, how, uh, can you repeat the ABCs to me? Can you show me how smart you are? Infants can't do that. They have no accomplishments to boast of. A little child doesn't make any demands. He doesn't say, now you have to get me this. I'm ordering you to get me this. Little children can't do that. They, they, they don't opt. Their minds are not developed for that. Have you noticed that little children make no distinction in their playmates? Sometimes we go, when we go to San Diego, almost all of the time when we go to San Diego, uh, my wife wants to go to Ikea. And so we load up all the grandkids in Clarice's van and we head to Ikea because they like free food on Tuesdays. They like that. But the thing that they like the most is the play area. They know when they go to Ikea that there's a place over there with the plastic balls and the little house that they can climb into and play, and they just get all excited about going to Ikea. They're not interested at all like my wife is in pots and pans and, and stirring things and containers to put stuff in. That's not their thrill. They go because of the balls that they get to play in. And when they go there, there are kids everywhere. Kids everywhere. And they step into there, and instantly they have friends. You notice that about children? Instantly they have friends. And they don't start asking questions. Where do you live? How much money does your dad make? 
Where, 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 what size, how many square feet is your house? What kind of car does your dad, your family drive? Oh, really? Well, you're too poor to play with me. Let me investigate a little bit further and find a different playmate. They never look to see if the color is right or wrong. No, a little child goes in and he begins to play. He makes no difference in the people that are there. A little child demonstrates his humility that... I'm not better than you. I, I'm just a child too. I, I'm not better than, than, than you. And, and I, if, if you want to know how much my daddy makes, I couldn't even tell you because I don't know. I have no idea what that stuff's about. It was Christ, the King, and the Lord and Master of these disciples who girded himself with a towel and bent down and washed his disciples' feet. It was Jesus Christ, the master illustrator of this story, who stepped off of his throne in glory and in humility took upon him the form of a servant and became obedient to the death of the cross. Are you worthy of more than Christ is? Jesus said the disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master And so if your thoughts about salvation are those of self-accomplishment and grandeur and position and authority and you rest in your arrogance and your pride of how you are so much better than that other person, you're not ready for the kingdom of heaven. Now notice he called a child into their midst. And why is it a child? Because number two, because of helplessness. He called a child because of helplessness. Children are not self-dependent. Children cannot take care of themselves. I mean, there's nothing as helpless as an infant. An infant's not going to survive on his own. An infant can't go and seek help. Did you know this? An infant can't even say, where's my daddy? I need to go find him. An infant cannot find his parent. And if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, you have got to say, I cannot help myself. There's nothing that I can do. God, I am without hope in the world. What can I do? Nothing. I can only come because of your power and your sovereign grace. And do you realize that all that I've talked today about entering into the kingdom of God are all things that you are not even capable of doing? That you cannot come to Christ? There is none that seeks after him. Only the righteous king can do this. He has to draw you with his cords of love. And then when he draws you, you can't say, well, look what I did. Look how smart I was. I heard the gospel and I believed it because I'm just so smart, intelligent, above everybody else. You would never claim that if you come the way that Christ says to come. No, there's nothing that you can do but as a sinner to smite on your breast and say, God, be merciful to me. There's nothing that I can do. I'm without hope. You have no right to demand it. You can't demand it from God. You can't stand before God and say, I demand that you save me. And secondly, God is not obligated to give it to you. Salvation would not be by grace if God was obligated to us in any way. A child is helpless. He can't do anything. And you have to see yourself as an infant sitting at the feet of Jesus, helpless before him. And then thirdly, Jesus says, There also has to be trustfulness. That's a characteristic of a little child, trustfulness. And we probably don't want our children to be too trusting. We teach them not to talk to strangers, don't trust strangers. And we teach them that 
Because that's the way they are. They need to be taught. They believe everything they hear. They don't doubt what adults tell them. You wouldn't believe some of the things I've told my grandchildren. And they believe that stuff. But all of it's not the truth. But they trust me. Well, here's the thing about Jesus. You can always trust him. He's never going to tell you anything but truth. Let me ask you something. Did you ever meet anybody that said Jesus is a liar? I've been around a long time. After all that work yesterday, I feel that I've been around a long time. And, and I've never in all of my life met a single person. I don't care who it is. I've never met a person that said Jesus is a liar. I think he's a liar. Well, if nobody says that Jesus is a liar, can I ask you something? Why are there unbelievers? Uh, those things don't mesh, do they? Nobody says that Jesus is a liar, and yet there are unbelievers. Something's wrong with that picture. And the real thing that's wrong is because they do believe that Jesus lied. Let me just read to you one statement that he made. Matthew 13, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Let me ask you, who believes that statement and would still go on offending God with their sins? Who really believes that, that would go on sinning just like they always have? Do you know why they do? Because they don't believe what Jesus said. You can't reach any other conclusion. But what did he say? He said, you must become as a little child. Truthfulness. A child accepts that he's being told the truth. And you must believe in everything that Jesus said. He told the truth. He's not a stranger that's going to hurt you. He's a Savior that will heal you. He's the Savior that cures that deep sin sickness of your soul. Fourthly, why must you become as a little child? Submissiveness. A child knows that he must submit. Children know who's in charge. Children don't make household decisions. I realize there's some of you that may not get this point of the message because your children do make the decisions. And if they don't get their way, they say, I hate you. Let me tell you about that. A parent who puts up with that, they're the ones that need to be whipped, not the child. But I'm talking here about how God actually made children. He made children. Ultimately, they are submissive. Now, I said in the beginning of the sermon that evangelism has been taught wrongly over the past hundred years or so because many people are teaching there is no need to submit to the authority of Christ. There is no need for you to be concerned about the lordship of Christ, that you must submit to his authority. And that's even become popular in our Baptist churches now where we never taught anything like that before. Now, we don't have to be submissive to Christ. All that we really need to do is you need Christ as your Savior. Like, just, just, just believe him that he died to save you from sins, but don't worry so much about Christ being the Lord. That's not important right now. 
Did they miss did they miss the scriptures or something? Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 10. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? The Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I don't know how people miss those verses. I don't know how people miss what we're reading right here in the book of Matthew when he talks about his kingdom. He's speaking of submissiveness. His disciples bow to him as Lord. He is the king. And if you think otherwise, if you're not willing to submit to him as Lord, you're not ready for his kingdom. It is nonsensical to say, Jesus can be my savior and maybe or maybe not, he will be my Lord. And listen to this, folks. You do not make Jesus the Lord of your life. You do not make him the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of your life. And there's not a throne sitting empty waiting for you to put him on it. He's on the throne. What's left is for you to acknowledge that he's on the throne. He's already the Lord of your life. Children are submissive. Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are those that come like little children, humbleness and helplessness, truthfulness and submissiveness. And I'm going to help you out here. We're going to close quickly, hopefully. Number four, I want you to notice the change in the disciples, the change in them. Now, it would be nice for me to be able to say that these disciples changed immediately, but you already know they didn't because we go over to uh, chapter 19 and we saw there, I read a moment ago, they still didn't get it. They didn't change immediately. But I'll tell you what, they did change. They came to the place that they did realize what Jesus was saying. At this point, they are actually acting like children, but they don't know it. The part that they're acting out is their understanding. They were understanding like children. They hadn't put it all together, but they did change. You know what it took for them to change? His death. They didn't change until he died and then arose from the grave. How do I know that they actually changed? Well, I look at this Gospel of Matthew and I see that Matthew writes all about their squabbling. And he tells us all about how they were always messing up and Jesus was always correcting them. And do you know what's missing in this book? Where are the exploits... Matthew. Where does Matthew add a postscript to this where he says, I was a mighty chosen apostle of Jesus Christ. I became a dynamic soul winner. I was one of the 12 apostles. I was a tremendous preacher. Where does he say that in this? He doesn't say it. You know why? Because he learned to be like a child. He learned what it meant to be in Christ's kingdom, that you must become as a child, that it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. So he's not going to tell us about him and all that he did. I go to the book of John, Gospel of John, and he was one of those sons of thunder. That's what he was described as, the sons of thunder, he and his brother James. And I read through the Gospel of John, and I find that not one time in the entire Gospel of John does he mention his name. In three epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, three letters that he wrote, he never mentions his name. Why? Because it wasn't about him. Everything he did 
was to exalt Jesus Christ. He learned to be like a child. Then you look at Peter. Peter was the most prominent of all the disciples. He spoke that great confession that we studied in the 16th chapter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said that. He's the one that Jesus sent after the coin in the fish's mouth. And so Jesus paid his taxes, paid Peter's taxes, but he didn't pay any of the other disciples' taxes. Peter could have been great. Did Peter say, listen to me? You listen to me. I am the Pope. I'm the great pontiff of Rome. Look at my red shoes. Listen to me and what I have to say. Did Peter say, kiss my ring. You know who I am. No, you know what Peter said? He said, I'm an elder just like all the rest of them. He even made a comment in which he said, don't be lords over God's heritage. He couldn't have been the first pope because he never got that right, that's for sure. That's the last thing the pope got right. Don't be lords over God's heritage. Peter wasn't even the pastor of the Jerusalem church. James, the Lord's brother, was the senior pastor of the church. Peter deferred to him. Read Acts 15. Peter was dynamic. He was a natural-born leader. He's always mentioned first in all of the list of the disciples, but he became as a child. Peter, James, and John were the only ones allowed on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They said, Look who we are. And they told the other disciples, we were the only ones that got to go with Jesus. And you know, that has to make us great. But they never told about it because Jesus told them not to. But then even after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and they were to tell these things, you know what they said? They said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Not we're the only ones allowed to go. Look how great that we are. Now, what I'm telling you today, hear what Jesus said. Don't start with, where's my title? Don't start with, where's my office in the church? Why doesn't anybody listen to what I say in the church? I mean, why aren't people listening to me? I think things ought to be like this, so why aren't they listening to me? Don't start that way. Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The one who becomes as a little child. If you want to be like a little child, you have to acknowledge that you have nothing, that you are nothing, that you can be nothing, that you must confess that you are a sinner, repent of your sins, trust Jesus to save you, be converted, turn from what you are, and then you know what will happen? He will make you what he wants you to be. It's still all about him. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message that you've given from your word. Lord Jesus is so clear about this. He changed the question all around, not who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The question is really, are you in the kingdom? And every one of us must stop to consider, are we really in the kingdom? Have we been converted? Do we have the characteristics of those that Jesus describes? Have we become like little children with no pretensions, depending completely upon the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins? 
I pray, Lord, you'd open someone's heart to that truth. If they're not saved today, open their heart to the truth. If they are saved, make them go back and review it again, what they're doing with their lives, and say, is this proof? Is what I'm doing, is this proof that I'm really in the kingdom of God? Help us to make that honest evaluation today. We ask for your mercy and grace to be here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roanoke Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org